Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Let's, um, let's jump into uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just share a few thoughts on this this morning before we close in prayer. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Um, last week, just so, so you know where we're, where we're going to be going, I just want to share this. If you were here last week, um, how many of you were here last week? We spoke about fasting. Um, it was incredible. Like God's, I, I really sensed the Lord all over it. And that's, that means God's in it because you know fasting is not an easy thing to speak about. But there's, there's a grace that God's calling us into as a body. And I'm just sharing that because in weeks to come, we're going we're gonna to come back into that. And, uh, and we have something I feel like God's put in my heart corporately that we're going to engage in in a fast that I believe is going to just break things open in, in our individual lives, in this body, um, as we just hunger for God. So that's where we're going. Uh, and I just want to encourage you that if you're part of this body and you missed last week, please, please go back and listen to the message. Not, not for any other reason than I, there's just essentials that we covered that um, are so important as we're moving forward, and I want everyone to participate and engage in this, so I want you to uh, make sure that you're caught up, so please, you have a week to do that, go back and listen to what we shared last week as we'll continue on that in, uh, starting next week, but for today, being that um, uh, just, just what we're doing here today and celebrating and knowing that we had baby dedications, I was kind of wrestling with God, do you want me to stay in fasting, or what do you want me to do, and I felt like God called me to just share a few thoughts on something different for, for this morning. And it's something that I, God stirred in my heart a few weeks ago, and I was thinking that it was actually going to be more for the holiday season for, for a specific reason, but I just believe God said to do it today, and that there's something, uh, there's something really prophetic about what took place today, I think, for our body. We are celebrating another year, right? So we're, we're growing and maturing in years as a church, and yet at the same time, we engage in a baby dedication, and I feel like what God wants to speak and just share a few thoughts on is becoming like a child. And it's really easy that as we grow and mature in years individually and as a body that we can actually fall into this place of unhealthy maturity. That we can actually get to a place where we're looking more or less and less like a child. Do you know that in the kingdom of God we mature into child-likeness? Some of us are just too adult-like. <laughs> And God wants to just kind of wreck that so that we'd come back to a childlikeness. Paul says that we should grow out of childish ways. So childish ways is essentially a life that's centered on me. We can go in a lot of ways with that, but it's just basically it's me first. It's self-centered. The cross just crushes that and makes us give ourselves away for others. So we're not called to live a childish life. But Paul says we never, we never outgrow childlikeness. And no matter how much we learn and grow in, which we should, there's a posture internally that we're meant to keep and actually grow in where we have childlike trust, childlike faith, childlike dependency, childlike joy. As I said, what can happen so easily is as we mature in the Lord, we lose fascination with God. All of a sudden, things get really uh, mundane. They just get very, uh, things that once were amazing, they're just quite ordinary now. We get dull. There's no joy. There's no awe. Do you know that we're supposed to be filled with awe? We're supposed to have joy like a child. There's meant to be a trust in God like a child. You know, I was thinking about that as Christians. We should be fueled by joy. 
You know why? I was, I was thinking, have, have any of you ever encountered someone or have you ever heard someone speak on a, on a, a talk show or share a testimony online where they experienced a near-death experience? Right? A lot of us have heard this. You know what usually happens is when you're listening to their testimony, basically what they share is, man, I was so close to death. Like they were stuck somewhere and someone randomly found them and rescued them or we know it's God's providence over their life. Or they were facing an ailment where they thought for sure this was it and they were counting their days. And then all of a sudden they're, they're touched and they're changed. They had a near-death experience and they'll tell you, man, I am like, I appreciate everything. <laughs> I appreciate the sunrise. I appreciate sunsets. I appreciate my family like I never have before. I was almost dead and I've been rescued. And I think as Christians, we lose sight of that scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. And like all of us were heading on this path and yet God in his goodness intervened in our life and rescued us. And there's supposed to be something of like a child where we say, oh my goodness, I, I, I get to have my family again. I get to Forget about the greater works. Just basic. Like, I have heaven awaiting me. I have him now. I'm seated in the heavenly place. Like, these th things that we just take for granted and say, oh, my goodness, I was at death's door, and he came in and rescued me. And so there's something about this Christian life that should really emulate a child. And I know that in here, you know, we have the kids, and they're close, and we thank God for the space, and I know that. There's aspects where there's distractions in, in, in that sense. I understand that. But a lot of times in ministry, kids are viewed as like a disturbance to real ministry. And really, God is, one of the things that we have through kids is that God's given us this beautiful picture before us. And this a, a necessary reminder of how we're supposed to operate in the kingdom. There's so much that we can learn from children. Have any of you ever been like deeply convicted when dealing with your kids? <laughs> And you're like, oh, my goodness, they, like, trust Jesus a lot more than I do. He Heidi Baker, who sees God do miraculous things in Mozambique, Africa, when she goes out to the bush outreaches, they go into these places, man, it's just broken in Africa. She says, I will not go unless I have the most critical part of my prayer team, little kids, because they just trust that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so she packs up these vans, and they're filled with little kids, and these little kids get released, and they're just like, man, my dad is going to do this. There's something that we can learn from kids. In the world, we grow up. In the kingdom, we grow down. And some of us need to learn how to grow down. I'm right there. There's something, there's something about a child that God wants to restore in us. So I want, to, I want to just share this scripture with you, and then, again, I'll just share a few thoughts, and we'll close out. But as we're growing in the Lord, that we were, would remain childlike. You follow me? That these, uh, Alana today actually presents something really, really beautiful for us. So let's read this scripture. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. So I love that. So these disciples, so adult-like of us. <laughs> Who's the greatest? Who's the best? And Jesus says, well, let me show you something. He takes a child, brings a child in front of him. Now, keep in mind, for us, we, we place a value on children, but in this culture, children were pretty insignificant. Outside of the fact that they, they testified that you had God's favor on your life if you were able to be fruitful, other than that, children, there wasn't a lot of value placed when they were younger. And so think about it. These disciples like, who's the greatest? And Jesus brings this insignificant child before them. And he says, in calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's powerful. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Child, childlikeness, if you were to ask, what does Jesus want of me, or what does it look like to follow Christ? The paradigm of childlikeness is one of the greatest demonstrations of what it should look like if we're truly following Jesus. Like if you were to say, should I experience changes in my life, and if so, what would it look like? We can actually think about a child and think about how a child operates, and there's so much that we can learn and see, wow, that's what it should look like if I'm a child in the kingdom. And here's one of the things that God was highlighting to me, and I'm, I'll just share a few things with you. But firstly is I have, I have two kids. I have a seven-year-old right now. I have a, actually, I have a third on the way, but I have a, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Many of you know my, my children, and I'll just use Gabriel for an example. Gabriel's three years old. And I want you to picture this. I want you to picture that after today, you didn't see Gabriel for 30 years, okay? It's been 30 years. All of a sudden, you're in a random stop and shop, and you come across Gabriel. There is no doubt that I can almost guarantee what's going to come out of your mouth when you see Gabriel. You're going to say, oh, my goodness, look how much you've changed from the boy who ate, you know, uh, goldfish at, at church. You look different, and the more you'd speak with them, you would, say, you would say to him, not only do you look different, but when you hear what he values now, when you hear what he's pursuing, when you hear what he's doing in life, you would say, without a doubt, you have changed drastically. And the point is, and I think what Jesus is trying to make, is that when it comes to entrance into the kingdom of heaven and the fact that we're called to be children of God, that Jesus is actually laying out an expectation that there should be a similar drastic change over our souls when we come into the kingdom. Except rather than going from a child to an adult, what happens is we go from an adult to a child in the kingdom. But what he's saying is just as you would see a young boy growing up saying, wow, you've changed. When we enter into the kingdom and become children, there should be something that says, wow, you're different. You don't value the things you used to value. You don't pursue the things you used to pursue. The stuff that once mattered to you, it really doesn't matter. You have a different approach. And what's happened is we've become children of God. And so here, here's just a few things. At the end, I'll, I'll close and I'll just share. I'm almost going to do this reverse. Jesus says we can't even enter the kingdom without being like a child. I'll close with that. I just want to share some things first of, uh, that we're all on the same page that say we've, we've received Christ. We're in the kingdom of God. What are some things that we should see? All right? And I'll just I'll touch on a few of these, and then we'll close it out. But number one, what this means to be childlike, and you know here this is most important for us, is intimacy. To be a child of God means that you have a father in heaven. This is really important. We never outgrow this. To grow in childlikeness is to grow in greater awareness that God is Yahweh, he's holy, and yet he's your dad. That can wreck you when you grow into this understanding. And I want to use, use this example in scripture, and some of you I know are well aware of this, but just stay, stay, stay with this and lean into this for a moment. When Jesus was praying, he got done praying and his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. You remember this? He said, teach us how to pray. And think about it. Have any, a lot of us were never really taught how to pray. We just close our eyes and start asking for things, right? And they said, but teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. And he gathers the disciples. And I'm just picturing this in my mind. If it was modern day, we'd probably say, okay, gather around, close your eyes, bow your head. And then he starts like this. He says, Father, Father. Now, this is a crazy statement that he's making because First of all, what he teaches us is that our lives and our communication with God is shaped and formed by relationship rather than form. 
See, most of us, when it comes to communing with God and talking with God, we're more concerned about form, the right words, how long. What Jesus really says is here's what really matters most. You come in right relationship. You come as a son and a daughter. See, that changes everything when you start approaching God from the right relationship, that he's a dad. Because I know if there's things in my life that I need from my dad, I just go to him. There's actually a boldness that God wants to invite us into as his son. But listen to this. When he says, Father, the disciples would have had a shock here. Father is used in the Old Testament, but it's always referred to as God as father of all things, father of creation. But this word, and many of you know we've shared it before, but I'm going to go into a different area. This word is in the Aramaic, it's Abba, which means daddy or dad, used in the most intimate sense of in a, in a household is the only place you'd use it, daddy, dad. So think about this. His disciples coming to Jesus say, teach us how to pray, Jesus. Teach us how to pray. Sure, come around. They're probably like, oh, my goodness, here we go. We're going to pray to Yahweh. And he goes, ready? He goes, dad. And they're like, what? Dad? Now, this gets even crazy when you think about this. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, it says that God dwells in an unapproachable light. He's, he's so set apart, it's like, it's like a nuclear reaction. You can't even look at it. It's just, he's so holy and set apart, right? Isaiah 6 says that there was an encounter that the prophet Isaiah had. And it says that when he came and saw, saw this vision of God, he says he saw these, these seraphim, these really high, holy, angelical creatures. And that when he saw these seraphim worshiping God, they had to cover their eyes with their wings. And all they could say was, holy, holy, holy. Like God is on this throne so set apart. Just stay with me for a moment. And then in Revelation, it says that there's fire that comes out of this throne. Revelation 8. It says thunder and lightning proceed from this throne. So picture this scene. There's this throne that God dwells on. It's an unapproachable light. Man, the highest angelical creatures can only cover their eyes and say, holy, holy. He's so set apart. There's fire and lightning coming from this place, the scriptures say. And yet Jesus invites us to come before that same throne and say, dad. Dad. Like we get to come to him and pray as a child. That's incredible if we actually let that sit in and really let that shape our life, what it means to be a child of God. One of the other things about being a child is childlike, you probably heard this, childlike faith. Have you heard that expression before? Trust, obedience, it leads into. Um, I was thinking about this. I don't know where my father is right now, but he would laugh. My mom's here, she'll laugh. Is when I was younger, um, it was probably like kindergarten. We have, I'm sure all of you have, those big bins of uh, family photos. And so there was one particular photo we came across that, again, I'm like five years old, and it was a picture of my dad in the woods, and he's literally in a hand-on-hand -hand combat with a bear, okay? <laughs> the bear is standing up on all fours, and I can't remember if he has a knife in his hand or not, but it's just, it's like he's going at it. And I'm saying, oh, my goodness, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's a... <laughs> He's like, that's when I was camping with your mother. I think it was Bear Mountain. He says, and we got attacked by a bear, and I had to kill it with my bare hands. And I'm like, now, the bear was fake. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, I'm like, no way. You kill the bear with your bare hands? So you can only imagine from, I think, like, I don't remember the last time, third grade is when the last time I saw it. K through third grade, when show and tell came, everyone brought their little toys. But I'm like, look at this. My dad killed a bear. <laughs> And, and the kids would be amazed. I never understood why. The teacher was like, that's, that's great. Um, 
what, what's funny is that my dad, he, he got so upset that I, I, um, I took it so serious, he couldn't come to tell me. <laughs> so it was at an uncomfortably old age where my mom had to sit down as I was talking about the bear and say, you know that that wasn't real. Your dad actually never killed a bear, right? But here's the point. Here, here's the point I want to make is that as a child, as a child, when my dad said he killed a bear, he killed a bear. <laughs> like, I didn't have the, I didn't even think twice to rationalize and say, wait a minute, you killed it from mom? Who's taking the picture then? And, I, and how can you even stand toe-to-toe with a bear that weighs that much? You'd be crushed. I couldn't think about any of that. All I knew is that my dad said he's able to do this, and I just said then he can do it. I didn't even think twice about it. And there's a place in our hearts that God calls us to be childlike in that. I can save anyone. Then he can save anyone. I can heal anyone. Then I can heal anyone. I can deliver anyone. Then he can deliver anyone. And yet what happens is we grow, grow so adult-like, we start to rationalize God. We start to count the cost over things and say, well, how can he really do this? Can he, can he really make this happen? Is he really the God of the impossible? I don't know about this. And, and we just become masters of this. As adults, we become masters of saying, I'll obey God as long as I understand, right? Child doesn't need understanding. I know sometimes in rebellious nature, but, but a lot of times they, they don't need that. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say understanding is necessary for obedience. In fact, many times understanding follows obedience. And as children, when your dad says something, you say, he can do it. There, there's no doubt about it. My, if my dad said he can do it, he will. And you may say, well, how do I grow in this, right? How do I grow in childlike faith? And when I was thinking about this, I feel like the Lord said very simply, it's taking risk. Let me explain this. John Wimber, who started Vineyard Church, he said, how is faith spelled? He said, R-I-S-K, risk. You see, I, I believe, when I look at my own life, maybe you can apply this to you, that many times when I find myself joyless with God, when I find myself bored with God, what I'm seeing, what the Lord showed me this week, is oftentimes it's rooted in I'm being disobedient to his voice. Because God throughout the day is constantly talking of stopping, pray for this person, do this. There are things and opportunities that God has for all of us where he wants to break through and show himself to be that dad that can kill the bear. That he can be that person like he was in Acts. But yet we actually have to stop and take risk when he speaks. And if we do, we'll see him break through, and then we'd say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe God can do this. But without taking risk, we stay in the area of control. We stay in the area of being very comfortable. And it's very easy then to say, to fall in a place of just boredom and just joyless because we were made for the supernatural to be natural. But that requires taking steps of faith even if I don't know how it's going to work out. Pastor, um, Pastor uh, I think is the way to pronounce this, Cho, he is the pastor of the largest church in the world, all right? I set the stage there. It's in Seoul, South Korea. And I watched this interview of him. And they asked him, they said, Pastor Cho, tell us, what is your church growth methodology? That's a good question to ask. <laughs> the largest church. And this isn't, by the way, we think of large churches. We often think of in America, a commercialized mega church. And not that all are like that, but that's our first thought. This is like purity and power just come out of this place. This is the real deal, and they're just exploding. And Pastor Child is broken English when they asked, how do you do it? What's the method? And he says, I pray, <laughs> and then I obey. And he just goes, ha, ha, ha. And he just laughs at that. <laughs> I pray, and then whatever God speaks, 
I just do it. You see, I'd rather it be real complicated because then I have excuses as to why it's not happening. But that just makes it like, okay, God said go do this. You do it. And we'll see God move. And there's going to be a childlike joy when we see the impossible, impossible being invaded by God. Are you following me? All right, here's a, a all right, I'll share this. I wasn't going to share it, but I'll share it. Um, this, this weekend, we, um, are you guys with me? You good? All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share this then. Uh, just to give you kind of expression, I hope you get this. You may have to go home and think about it a little more. But um, we, were, uh, we were pumpkin picking yesterday, and I was with, uh, with my kids, and they were playing on the playground. Now, how many know playgrounds are crazy? <laughs> playgrounds are crazy. But listen, I want you to hear something. I really believe it's not just meant to be silly. There's an actual really deep spiritual application here. And playgrounds, you know, as I was watching my kids, and I was thinking about this week, and then I actually saw it happen, and my wife and I are there. All the parents are around. There's a bigger fence that, that is protecting the children, but on the playground itself, it's what I would call an expression of beautiful chaos. <laughs> you've got, I mean, think about it. You've got kids entering at all different ages, all different ethnicities. They don't know each other. Most of them, some come with groups. They come in. They're playing with a toy for a second. They drop it. Go play with another toy. <laughs> some of them are engaging in a game. They see another group of friends run, and they just say, oh, let's join them. We'll run with them. And they're climbing. They're doing all this stuff, and it's just, it looks crazy. And I was thinking about, to a person who doesn't have kids, they would come in and say, this is, this is mayhem. Like, we need to bring more order so that they can actually accomplish something and grow and do something. But as parents, we see the beauty that's taking place. We see that these kids are actually, they're dreaming. They're, they're using their imagination. They're testing their strengths. They're learning very quickly their weaknesses as they fall and get bumps and bruises. They're... Um, they're building relationships, and they don't even see the color of the skin of the person. They're just so engaged in playing. And I, and I say that because it's so easy for someone to come around and say, man, we got to change this up to, for them to be more productive. But I think there's a beautiful illustration of what it looks like to advance the kingdom as children. Like God is looking for us and invites us to dream with him. Like God's heart is that the nations will worship him. He's not just looking to have a church that can make it in Mastic Beach. He's saying, who will dream, who will imagine with me of what I can do through if you yield your life? He's looking for people to take risk and know that they're not defined by the failures when they take risks. Therefore, they're free to take them because they're defined by God. And so even when they miss it, they can still get up and walk with them. And that's actually how they grow when they step out of the boat. Like there's something so beautiful about children that we see. And yes, we have spiritual mothers and fathers that stand around and leaders that, that make sure nothing gets too crazy. Right? There's a fence like the word of God holds us accountable, but there's this freedom that takes place that I think we can learn so much from when it comes to stop being so, like, I don't want to be in control anymore. Crystal and I are getting really tired of feeling like we're fighting with God sometimes for control. Like, I want to come in here and say, what is he going to do today? <laughs> I don't want to know how it's all going to work out. I just want to go and run with him because it's just beautiful doing that. You follow me? Do you know another thing I realized looking at my kids? Children don't Hold offenses. <laughs> Should we skip over this one? <laughs> I've watched my kids kill each other. <laughs> Two minutes later, they're hugging each other, saying I love you, and going right back to playing, playing Beyblades. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened here? You may have been with your kids as they're playing with all these other kids. They run over to you. They're screaming. Someone took their toy. They, you think they're going to die. And as they're telling you, you're trying to understand what's happening, another kid runs by with another toy, and they're like, ooh, and they just go for it, right? <laughs> See, children, they have to learn to hold a fence. 
probably from adults. <laughs> that doesn't come, that's not really natural for them. And I think this is important because, what, or I should put it this way, why? Why don't they do it? The simple answer, just like using that illustration, is they're too busy playing and enjoying and going on adventures. <laughs> and I know at first, like, what the heck does that have to do with anything? But if you think about it, there's something really deep spiritual there that they're so consumed with just, like, playing and enjoying and going on adventure and dreaming that they're like, I don't have time to hold on to this grudge anymore. If we actually started prioritizing the right things and really saw the joy and wonder of God using us, not just saving us from death, but then bring us into a place where he has good works for us, we would say, man, I don't have time to hold on to these grudges. I don't have time to engage in social media battles. Like, man, I have been invited to expand God's kingdom and this is where I'm going. I just, I'm fueled with joy and I'm not going to allow anything else to get in the way of that. There's something we can deeply learn from children by that. And it's not, it's not just offense with one another, but children don't hold on to offense. I thought about this. Um, John the Baptist, do you remember John the Baptist was, uh, he was thrown into jail. You remember that? Thrown into jail. Now think about it. This man was extremely faithful, and yet what he found himself was, was in prison. And so what he does is he takes two of his followers and he says, hey, do me a favor and go to Jesus, the Messiah, and I need you to ask him, is he who he says he is? Why? Because I've been faithful, and I'm in prison, and I'm about to die, and I need to know, was it worth it? And so John's disciples come to Jesus, and I want to just read this in, um, in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 to 23. It'll be on the screen. Look how Jesus answers. He says this. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. This is amazing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. But listen to what he says. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And to be a child is to not be able to hold on to offense, not just with one another, but when we walk through seasons where we don't understand why we're walking through them. It's really easy to say this would never happen. We can get really offended with Jesus. I didn't think that this should happen to me. I've been doing everything you've asked. Why am I walking through this? Why is this not happening as fast as I thought? And our hearts actually get offended towards him. We get offended by how Jesus uses other people. The fact that he's even using them, we get offended by because we know what goes on in their backstory. So how could God use this person? And as a child, as a child, there's something that releases us from that. Look at verse 1. Here's another thing. Verse 1, I want to read this again. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? All right? Here's another thing about a child. There's, a, there's, a, there's something about a child that's pure. There's something about a child that I mean, it's not a moral innocence, but there's an innocence that frees them from lusting after the things of this world. And so these disciples come to him and they say, who's the greatest? So adult-like to say, who's the best among us? And Jesus brings a child and says, you have to be like this child. Why? What is he teaching? He's teaching that if you, any one of you have kids were to pull your child aside and ask them about titles and positions and crowns and achievements and accolades, they wouldn't have the slightest clue about it. They could care less. And as these men are arguing over all these stuff of who's greater, look at me, look at this ministry, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You need to be like a child. A child is so oblivious. A child's heart is released from being entangled in the pursuit of power and position. A child's heart is pure towards these things. It could care less. It just wants to enjoy and be with his father. 
He could care less about any of these things. It's interesting that actually one of the more appropriate ways to word that first verse, and you see it in certain translations, is they're actually, it's a comparative undertone. They're actually asking not just in general, but who's greatest among us? Oh, this happens all the time. Who's the greatest among us? That's what they're really getting at. And that comparison is quenched. That striving to run in someone else's lane is just crushed when you realize that you are a child of God. You see, when you realize you're fully accepted by God, you realize that you're not defined by your position. And so you are free to get as low as you need to to serve other people. And here's the last thing I'll share with you is dependency. To be a child is to live in dependency on the parent, which is really rooted in humility. A child is so sensible of their weakness. Have you ever noticed that? I'm talking about a young child. When they fall, right, when they get hurt, when they need food, when they want clothing, when they just want attention, where do they run to? Mom and dad. They don't even hesitate. And there's something about us that we get, when we get really capable, man, it gets in the way of us having this childlike dependency and humility to run to God. And God is inviting us to, to have a childlike dependency on him. In the world, the world and the kingdom of God are totally different. In the world, maturity is marked by independence. As we, as we grow more mature, we become more and more independent. And that's a healthy thing. We move out of parents' house. We start our own family, get our own jobs, so on and so forth. But in the kingdom of God, maturity is marked by dependence. The more and more you come aware of your complete inability to do anything without him is the key. The moment I stop clinging to God is the moment I am actually on a path of destruction. It's the moment I realize that I think I've got everything together is actually when I'm in dangerous, dangerous trouble. Think, and I want you to just think about this, this last thought. Think about a child. When a child goes to reach their hand for their, for their mother or father, you know, I was just thinking about the, the weight of what they're actually doing. It's not just a matter of just having a point of contact. When they're crossing a street or going somewhere and they put their hand in their parent's hand, they are literally losing control over their life and saying, I trust that my parent is going to get me there safely. I trust that they're going to be there for me. Like, it's, it's actually profound that they're releasing control to do it their own way. They, they're free from having to know all the details. All they care about is my hand is in the hand of my parent and therefore I'm okay. There's something about that for us to learn from, to put our hand spiritually in the hand of the Father. And to know you don't have to worry about every detail. You don't worry about how you're going to get there. But to know that there's, nothing, there's no time you are safer than when you trust your entire self to him. Romans 8.14 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, those who are children of God, how will you, how will you know? Because they're led by the Spirit of God. Spiritually, they've got their hand in their father's hand. And they say, God, I surrender control. I surrender trying to figure this thing out. And I'm just going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you. You know, Jesus, Jesus taught one time. I just remember this, the, 70, uh, the 72 disciples, disciples that he sent out. And do you remember uh, they come back and they're rejoicing because they saw a powerful breakthrough, right? And when they come back, uh, they rejoice that even the demons, they said, are subject to, to the name of Christ, that they walked in. And so Jesus basically tells them, man, I've given you authority, power and authority to tread over scorpion, uh, scorpions and serpents. He says, but really, rejoice. That's great, rejoice in that. But really what you should rejoice is that your name is in the book of life. And then basically what he says is he goes to the Father and prays to the Father. And he says, Lord, Father, I thank you that you haven't revealed these things to the wise and learned, but you revealed them to 
Little children. Wow. Power and authority, real power and authority to preach the kingdom of God and see it demonstrated. Who is it entrusted to? The wise and the learned? That doesn't mean God's against education and growing. It's saying those who trust in their own capability. He said, I didn't reveal it to them. I revealed it to those who saw themselves as children needing me. Kingdoms of the world are advanced through might, through outwitting one another, through outbidding one another. But the kingdom of God, Jesus showed us, he brought in the kingdom of God. He ushered it in through childlike faith, obedience, trust in the Father. This is how the kingdom of God has moved. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And we'll close here. Are you guys following me? Grace to be childlike. Childlike. We never outgrow this. Purity, innocence, free from just pursuing all these other things. Dependency on him. If you have children or if everyone at some point comes around children, ask God. Say, Lord, show me. Show me through this child what you want us to look like. Joy and wonder. Freedom. Before we close in prayer, I want to share this with you. I said I would finish right here. Everything I've shared has, has been with an understanding of you entering into the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it looks like as you grow, right? But Jesus actually says this in verse 3, and I'll read it again. Make sure we understand it. He says, and, and, and he said this to them, to his disciples. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So even to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be like a child of God. Now, what, what is Jesus saying? This is important. Jesus, first of all, to every person in this room, Jesus is giving an invitation into eternal life. He is saying that eternal life is available, the kingdom of heaven, and to be with him, because we are made and created to be eternal beings, but to be with him in heaven and to be with loved ones who put their faith before him, it is available this morning... But what he teaches is, is that it's not found just because our name is written in the membership book of our local church. It's not found just because I have family members who really love God. Jesus says, if you want to experience new life and eternal life, you yourself must become like a child. Now, what does he mean by that? Some say, well, Jesus is saying we have to be innocent like a child in immorality. No, no, no. David said, I was conceived in sin. Paul spoke over and over about how sin entered into the world, therefore all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. He's not speaking about being innocent in it like that sense with a child. But I think there's two things he's emphasizing. Number one, to become a child means there must be a rebirth. You must be born again. You can't become a child if you're still an adult. So you have to be born again to become like a spiritual babe. In order to become that, here's the hard part that strikes the heart of man and did for me for years, is that means you must also then die to the old life. And that is the problem that often happens, is that there's a glorious new life awaiting us, but God says, in order to access that, you have to die to the old life. Jesus took the full price, but we enter into that death by surrendering our entire beings. And Jesus says, when you do that, you'll become a child of God and experience new life. But here's the other part that gets emphasized, is that to enter into the kingdom as a child means that you cannot do anything to earn it. A child can only receive. 
this is the gospel of grace. And this again strikes my heart of pride because I am so wanting to have something I can point to to say this is why God wanted me. Right here. He knew I would do this. He knew I was this good. He knew I really had good intentions. No. To receive it as a child means I have to be stripped of all that and say, my goodness, I have nothing to come to you and offer. And all I can do is entrust myself that you have provided everything necessary for new life. Everything I need is found in what you have made available for me, Jesus. And here's the last scripture I'll share with you, Mark 10, 45. Jesus said this about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. When you think of the word ransom, what do you think about? We typically think of a kidnapping. And that may do some justice, but that's actually not what the real word is getting at. And I want you to hear this, to understand as a child, this is what you're receiving. The word ransom in the Greek, which is what this is written in, is called lutron. And its origin actually comes through warfare. And what would happen is that when nations would go to war with one another, whatever nation lost, those soldiers were taken captive and brought into that foreign land. There was no POW camps. You became a slave and a captive to the enemy. And the only way you could be released from that captivity is if someone came, typically the king of your nation, and came and paid a ransom for you to be released. The emphasis is that you and I, before Christ, were enslaved and captive to the kingdom of darkness. And no matter what we'd want to do, we couldn't break out. But the good news is Jesus came to pay your ransom. How? With precious gold and silver? No, with blood. It says that he came as a ransom for many. That means instead of the many. The many deserved it, but Jesus said, I'll take it for them. And with that, there's an opportunity to become a child of God and to experience the newness of life in Jesus. And I, I share that because everything I shared before means nothing if this doesn't happen first. And I just, I, I just ask that, and I just share this before we close in prayer is that if, is there anyone, and you don't need to be embarrassed, it's the holiest moment of your life, but is there anyone who has never, never surrendered their life to Jesus? I promise you this, everything will change when this happens. And I want to invite you, if you haven't, could you raise your hand if there's anyone in this room before we close in prayer? If there's, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I pray everyone, because you're in this body, you're in Christ. But if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to ask you to raise your hand. And not low, but raise it high if that's you. Amen. It's amazing. Amen. Amen. That's two people right there. Nick, you're, I know you love the Lord. Anyone else? Listen to me, you can't lose sight of what's happening right now. There are literally people entering into the kingdom of heaven right now. I promise you this, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, everything in that moment may have not changed, but everything changed. <laughs> my life was never the same. And so I ask one more time, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? 
who has never surrendered life to Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask, you may not like me for a moment, but this is why I'm doing it. <laughs> it's because I understand the tricks and traps of the enemy to get us when we leave this place to question what just happened. And there's something powerful about a public confession. Because what happens is when you leave this place and the enemy comes and say, remember, that was just all feelings. You say, no, no, no. There is no way that I would ever present myself before the Lord in this way. And so what I'm going to ask is those two, this is, this is not to embarrass, but it's such a beautiful moment. I'm going to ask if uh, Marianne and if, if my brother can come on up here for a moment. Come on, beloved. We have people entering the kingdom of heaven. everyone just bow their heads you guys come right over here stand right in front of me I promise you'll never forget this day you face me you face me just bow your heads thank you Lord thank you Lord Lord we would just rejoice right now that there's two precious lives coming into your kingdom right now I thank you Lord that no man could stir a heart like this this is by the spirit this is by the Spirit. So I'm just going to ask you to, there's nothing, I'm going to put my hand on you. There's nothing powerful in necessarily this prayer. But the Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and also believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so I'm just going to lead you to in a prayer that's really just putting words to what's happening inside of you. So just repeat after me. Father. I thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you, Lord. And this morning, I surrender my life to you. Right now, I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I ask Jesus that you would be Lord over my life. I surrender everything to you. My past, my present, my future. I entrust everything into your hands. And I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to make me your home, that I would be the dwelling place of the living God. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pray over you real quick. Father, I thank you for sealing this work. I thank you that there's no other way through you, Jesus, and that you've brought them to a place of seeing that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, as you've just filled them, Lord, I pray that you would come upon them in great power and might. Lord, I thank you for the great plans that you have for them. And I pray, God, that nothing would come in the way. Nothing would come in the way of this. God, I pray that you would just guard their minds. God, guard their hearts, the thoughts, and all the things. I pray you would surround them with the right people. Lord, that they would grow in you. They would grow in you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.